Flacco fans, oh my gosh, football is here. We're recording this a little ahead of the season, so I mean, all I can say is, wow, what a, how about that football, huh? I can't believe that result happened in Atlanta. Pretty crazy, just as I predicted. I'll just say that right now. Fans, we got a really good one here because we're talking about a team, well, they're one of the best in the Pac-12. Uh, some would say, you know, they, they've ran this thing. At least last year they did. That is right. We're talking about the BYU Cougars, a team that the resident film reviewer over Addicted to Quack has uh, watched a good amount of tape on at this point. <laughs> Hithliday, who joins us now. How you doing, Hithliday? I'm good. Yeah, I, I did watch a bunch of BYU tape. I had to uh, reviewing the Pac-12. They played and beat five Pac-12 teams. Um, <laughs> you know, that if, if Oregon wasn't open opening their season with Georgia, this would be the headliner game, you know, of their non-conference season, you know, BYU's a ranked team, very high quality team. Like that's what jumps off the tape is that they're, you know, they're rotating through a ton of dudes and, you know, that requires a ton of, you know, great coaching, you know, and management, seriously assignment discipline. And uh, the the thing that's, you know, just remarkable about it is that, you know, I'm not sure if our guest is going to like hearing me say this, but like it is constructed in a lot of similar ways to Utah like the 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 <laughs> roster management things that they have to go through are very similar to what Utah goes through and so in some ways it's also a preview of Oregon's big you know conference opponent uh, against Utah and Autzen Stadium later in the year Absolutely. I'm sure uh, our guest absolutely hated being compared to Utah, and that is because our guest today, uh, we're very grateful to have him, is Jake Hatch of Locked On Cougars. That is BYU Cougars. It's, it's pretty amazing that actually uh, he was able to get at Locked On Cougars because there's so many damn Cougars out there. Uh, <laughs> does does great work out there. You can follow either his personal account on Twitter at Jacob C. Hatch, J-A-C-O-B-C Hatch, or at Locked On Cougars. Jake, how you doing, man? Doing well, gentlemen. Thanks for having me. And let me just say this up front. The funny thing you say that about Utah, well, Kalani Satake spent a decade working under Kyle Whittingham. So the, <laughs> let's put it this way. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. So that's actually not a bad comparison. They're both uh, they're both former BYU players, too. Correct. Yeah, both played for Lavelle Edwards back in the day. So, yeah, there, there's a lot of similarities between these those two programs, even though they're literally at, e- at each other's throat, it feels like, every single day on social media. Well, the thing that's really remarkable, you know, I construct an entire uh, roster database um, for every team that Oregon plays, um, and, and I use the same tools, you know, to evaluate rosters and, and to evaluate film. Uh, BYU, and the, the reason that I make the comparison to Utah is there's just so much, like, yeah. Okay. So I just finished studying Georgia, right? You know, I constructed my database for them on defense. Georgia plays about 20 guys, right? Like, you know, 20 different human beings. It's the one deep, it's the two deep. And then they don't really get down to the third or fourth string until deep into garbage time. I'm not really watching that on defense. BYU's playing closer to 40 guys. You know, it's like the one, two, three, and you're seeing fours, you know, during meaningful play, it's just like constant rotation. And, and the reason for that is like, it's not a bunch of four and five stars, you know, it's, uh, you know, you're talking about mid three stars, a lot of two stars, a lot of walk-ons, like they're giving a lot of playing time to dudes who are, you know, just sort of show up, you know, yeah. a lot of that has to do with LDS missions. Like it's actually, you know, a big challenge to construct both the BYU and the Utah database because it's like, okay, this was their recruiting class. And then you're not going to see half of them for two years. And then the dudes that are the incoming freshmen, it's like, this was the guy who was recruited in 2020, you know? Yeah. 
so like you know constructing all of the and plus like a lot of play in the transfer portal um i, I feel like that's really heated up for byu so like a lot of what we're going to be doing today um i hope it's not going to put anybody to sleep i find it really interesting but like i'm just trying to make sure i know who's on the roster um it's a bit of a challenge and jake i really appreciate your time for helping walk us through it no, happy to do it. And you're right. The the roster construction and trying to keep track of guys coming in and out of the program due to LDS missions, it, it makes it's an absolute headache. And the funny thing is, uh, in the media game that all three of us operate in, it's just as hard inside the program. I've talked with enough folks down there at BYU, and they literally have a, a software program built to manage the rosters that look out seven years in advance for guys going on missions. They'll say, okay, this person's going to miss this two seasons. They return this year. And that's how they kind of go about building out the, these rosters. It, it, it's hard hard to keep track of there's no doubt it, yeah it's remar- that's remarkable to learn i should try to get a hold of that software um the it's also interesting you know I, I spent a lot of time looking at official rosters you know on on websites byu does something that i've never seen any other team do like listener if you have a chance go up on byu's uh, website and check it out where they will tell you precisely which years guys are playing like when they committed and so forth to help you keep track um yep. it's uh yeah no it's it's definitely a challenge um it's also also the case that like you know for a lot of teams that i'm constructing my rosters for like you know when i see a dude gets a, a you know a zero rating out of 247 or whatever like they're unrated by 247 i'm like well that kid's a walk-on and therefore i don't need to pay attention to them not <laughs> true for byu right like i have to put all of these kids in there because like a lot of them are getting like pretty substantial playing time um and and like well, we'll talk about more on the defense. This is really much more true for the defense than the offense. Let's let's start talking with the offense. Okay. So uh, there's sort of a two-man show last year, Jaron Hall and Baylor Romney. I never really quite understood why that was happening. Could you fill us in? So Jaron was the was the starting quarterback. He he was the guy last year, but then early on in the season, he got injured and missed a few games. And Baylor Romney's kind of been like I call him a super sub, and he's not, since moved on from the BYU football program. He decided he was done playing football, so he's moved on to I, I guess get a big a big boy job. But the thing is, when he came in, they they had no hesitation putting him into the game. So Jaron was slow due to some injury, and then they just inserted Baylor Romney and kind of operated as normal. That that was the one positive they had with the quarterback position last year was they could afford to have a guy like Jaron miss some time and they felt comfortable inserting Baylor Romney into the the lineup and saying, okay, we're just going to do what we do over here. The question this year will be, well, it's Jaron Hall's job once again. Will he stay healthy the entire year? And if he does miss time, uh, I don't necessarily know that they necessarily think that they have that stopgap guy. So that's the question. Yeah, I mean, that's where I was going with this is that it – it didn't seem like um, when I was watching their 2021 film that it was like, this is seriously a quarterback controversy. It seemed like as soon as Hall was ready to go again, you know, they yanked Romney and put Hall back in. It wasn't any sort of like, you know, Romney's actually doing pretty good. Maybe we stick with him for another game. No, it wasn't any of that. It was Hall's the starter. Thank you for your service, Baylor. You know, out you go. You know, I feel like that's probably, you know, I mean, definitely going to be true in 2022. It, it, It looks to me like the only scholarship, other scholarship guy on the roster is Jacob Conover um, who's a low four star uh, recruited in the 2020 cycle I think he threw like 10 passes in garbage time last year I haven't really gotten good eyes on him Oregon doesn't play BYU until the third week in the season I I hate to bring this up because it would be so early but like if something happens to Jaron Hall like what do you think about Conover do you think he's ready to play is there somebody else in the room who's going to jump in what do you think 
So there was some concern uh, during spring ball about like who was going to be the backup quarterback. They also brought in Cade Fennigan, uh, who's a transfer from Boise State. Uh, mm-hmm. He's a guy that was competing for that backup job. But Jacob Conover essentially seized the backup job and has run with it ever since. The, the coaching staff has expressed a lot of optimism in his abilities should he be called upon. Uh, I can tell you this much. We were able to watch, I think, I mean, I'm counting in my head, I think we saw seven uh, portions of seven practices during uh, training camp uh, over the last three weeks or so as a media core down here in Utah and during those sessions there was a lot of Jacob Conover in uh, at the, with the backup uh, quarterback position and what I saw from him was a market improvement just in terms of his overall grasp and kind of his decision making in terms of just getting the ball out of his hand that was something that uh, during spring ball during 2021 and also just this past spring that it seemed that was more of a question mark so it seems like he's really starting to grow into the position but really you're, you're not going to know what you have with him I feel like until ultimately he is called upon in game if guy if Jaron does get injured. So there's there's optimism that he can be the guy, but until you actually see him in the job, there won't be the full answer. Well, and he's been he's been in the program since 2020. You right. know, so this will this will be his third year in the program. And I believe I, I know there's no coaching changes between 2021 and 2022. Right. I don't think there were any coaching changes. Like it, it's Aaron Roderick's offense and he's the yeah. quarterback's coach. You know, mm-hmm. like it, it's not like he's, you know, suddenly working with a new guy. Yeah. I, you know, I should think that, a, you know, a four to star third year in his program without any substantial, you know, offensive changes or coaching changes that like, yeah, he should be, you know, basically ready to go. Will be he be as good as Hall? You know, it's hard to imagine without all that experience, but like, I don't, you know, I don't really think like if something happens to Hall that all of a sudden the, the show grinds to a halt, you know, like I think, you know, they would still pretty much as effective as they were previously, especially given how much BYU leads on its running game, right? Yeah, and you're, you're dead on with that. I, I'm of the opinion that a guy like Jacob Conover comes in, he would offer the element to be able to still attack the field via the passing game, but the, the running element that Jaron Hall offers, I don't necessarily think you'd have with a guy like Jacob Conover if he were in the game. But You think he's more of a more of a statue? He's not necessarily a statue. He's just he's a guy who's more comfortable making plays from the pocket. He's not the most fleet of foot guy. Uh, the funny thing about this, he comes out of Chandler High School down there in Arizona. He was mm-hmm. a year starter at the high school level so this is a kid who's played a fair amount of football in his life and has been a pretty uh high level quarterback the the ultimate thing is yeah it's been three years he's tossed maybe i think you're right 10 passes in all of his byu career so far the hope is that at some point you get a you get a kind of a glimpse at him if you're a byu fan down here and see what he ultimately can do but that may not come hopefully until 2023 Yep. Uh, well, let's talk about that running game. You know, this has got to be the most significant loss uh, for the BYU program going into 2022, losing the star running back, uh, Tyler Algier, 1600 yards last year, 276 carries, which like, my God, um, <laughs> uh, it's just like, I mean, it's crazy how productive he was. And the dude is a two-star, you know, like a low two-star. Um, let me let me add this about this real quick on Algier. He actually was a preferred walk-on into the BYU football program. Talk about the fact that BYU uses walk-ons. He actually uh, started at running back, uh, not sorry, so he started at linebacker for BYU before switching over yeah, to crazy. play back for them. So he's he. Quite, quite a find. I'll just put it that way. And, and not just a grinder either. Like it's 5.8 yards per carry. And like, you know, what I charted out, you know, was was uh, uh, about a 58% success rate, which is really good, um, you know, in terms of the down and distance. You know, it's it's not like, you know, he's one of these guys who gets 276 carries and gets 276 yards, you know, like, like you know, he's really, you know, had a lot of bursts. Here's the thing that's interesting. The, the, the returning, it looks to me like it's a contest between two guys. You know, one returner, Lopini, 
uh, Katoa, who's right. actually been in the program the, the same amount of time as Algier. I think he originally signed with Oregon State, but then went on a mission and and then and then joined up with BYU instead. Do I have that right? Yeah, you are correct. He actually yeah. signed with Kalani Satake when he was the defensive coordinator for the one year at Oregon State before taking ah, the okay. job. Katoa's been, you know, he gets like 60 carries a year every year since 2018. For like four years, he's been getting like 60 carries a year. But like Algier comes out of nowhere in 2020 and just steals the show and, and same in 2021. So it sort of feels like Ball might be going back to Katoa, like a sort of, a you know, a career long backup. But then the other interesting one is uh, Christopher Brooks, the transfer from Cal. Uh, I've been watching that guy for his entire career. I really like him. You know, the, th the thing about Cal, and I understand he's sort of moving to a different offense, and, and I guess we'll see whether or not it, you know, works works more for him. Brooks is really a grinder. He's, he's you know, a, a pounded between the tackles, you know, kind of back, not like a, a, you know, a big burst of speed, you know, make a cut, you know, make a guy miss, you know, kind of guy. I don't have as much eyes on Katoa. What do you think about that comparison? You know, like, is does Katoa bring a, a different skill set, or what do you think? Katoa is uh, more of a, a fan. He's the perfect uh, change of pace back. That's what I, I've kind of settled on throughout his BYU career. Right. He's, he's uh, seen uh, just a, the same kind of carries his entire career. He said it's 60 to 80, and he's always been fairly productive in that role. But the other thing that BYU is not afraid to do with him is actually to split him out into the slot and use him as a little bit of a mm -hmm. receiver at times as well. So his ability to contribute in multiple ways is his, is, is his chief strength. And uh, let me just uh, add one thing on the Christopher Brooks side of things. BYU brought him in to essentially be a clone of Tyler Algier. They truly believe he can come in and be that type of running back. Will he put up 1,600 yards? I've got my questions because he is, his high at Cal was 900 yards. Uh, if he goes over 1,000 yards. I mean, they really spread the ball around at Cal, though. I'm, I'm not sure that's a fair comparison because it's like, I mean, it's 276 carries for Algier. It's 61 for Katoa last year. You know, like Cal was much more like evenly distributed among their like four backs. And, and the thing about it this year, I, it would not surprise me if you see Lopini Katoa potentially get up to maybe a, around 100 carries and a guy like uh, Brooks get around 200. I, I could see that playing out, but it's going to be Christopher Brooks is the lead guy for BYU at running back. Yeah, I guess we'll see. You know, I, like I said, I, I like the guy a lot. I respect yeah. the hell out of him. I, I don't think a lot of Cal's offensive line. Um, you know, I've, I've had to been, you know, I, I watch him every year, right? They're in the same division as Oregon. But Watched like him uh, really take care of Washington a couple of years. <laughs> that is true. Always that one's always enjoyable as well. Yeah, I don't know. I I I guess I have my doubts that he's going to instantly replicate, you know, what Algier did. But like on the other hand, I think his floor is pretty damn high. You know, I think that he's a reliable running back. I guess my concern is sort of like if something happens to Brooks, I, I don't know that they like really have a reliable running back here. Like, do you think I'm wrong about that? No, I think you're actually you, – it's a, a pretty uh, honest assessment that I would agree with for the most part. If they did lose Christopher Brooks, the name to pay attention to if you're an Oregon fan, and this guy, this guy he may not necessarily feature a lot against Oregon since it might be so early on in the season. Sure. Three, but the name is Miles Davis. He's probably hmm. the number three back for BYU right now. He's a former wide receiver out of the Las Vegas area in his high school days. They saw something they liked in him when he got to BYU and it converted him to playing running back. He's a tall back, I think six foot two, 190, 200 pounds, somewhere in that range right now. They really like his uh, ability to in the open field to, to really turn it on and just uh, gash defenses. I, I'm not convinced he's necessarily going to be a, like a, a, a massive uh, player early on in the season, but if something were 
were to happen to a guy like Chris Brooks, that's probably the guy that they'd probably lean on. Uh, that's it. I never would have guessed that. I mean, he had like one carry, which is a tackle for loss last year. So, I mean, I, he wasn't on my radar at all. But And he got injured during training camp last year. He actually broke uh, hit the fifth metatarsal in his right foot, if I got this correct. He actually hmm. told me. Broke his uh, foot, the fifth metatarsal in spring ball last year. Then in training camp last year, t- breaks the fifth metatarsal in his left foot and was lost the entire season. Uh, uh, well, we'll keep an eye on. I, well, we'll knock on wood that nothing happens to Brooks. Uh, and I'll, I'll keep an eye on on Miles Davis. Miles runs the voodoo down. One one other name, by the way, uh, to pay attention to. He he's a guy who has had like multiple instances where he's come into a game and been good, but then uh, disappears for a time. Is Jackson McChesney. Uh, so he'd probably be the fourth running back if they really did need somebody. But like, like I said, the lead two guys, Chris Brooks and then Lopini Katoa. Uh, let's talk the tight ends. Okay. Um, it looks like they're bringing back the the, the all the three really productive guys. Uh, uh, Dallin Holker, who I believe was 32 last year, but now he's number five. Correct. Yep. And Isaac Rex and Mason Wake. Mm-hmm. Um, the interesting there is that wake, I believe is a walk on. I don't really have a lot of commentary here. You know, they, they, they use tight ends to an extent, but it's still a wide receiver driven passing game. It's, it, you know, that is a, a definitely a de- departure from, from Utah where like their entire passing game goes through their, their tight ends. Um, you know, these guys are mostly blockers. They're mostly running 12 personnel. You know, I'm, I'm seeing one, you know, two two of these three guys on virtually every play. Um, and then they're bringing in uh, Houston, Houston Haymuli um, from Stanford. I've been watching that guy for a long time too. Um, he's, you know, a blocker almost entirely. You know, I, I sort of think that that's just, frankly, I think he's a better blocker than at least Wake, maybe Rex. Holker's pretty good. But I, you know, I think they're just sort of beefing up the blocking with Haymuli and that they're pretty comfortable with Holker and Rex as pass catchers. Do you think I have that right? Yeah, so Jay Muley's coming in. He, as you guys know, you saw him at Stanford. He was the purest of pure fullbacks. A 200-pound hammer that would just come downhill on people. Uh, BYU is going to use him in that role. They really like what Mason Wake offers in terms of his versatility. He's more of a true, I guess what you'd call an H-back, where he can play from the fullback position. He can do a wingback stuff. They actually uh, learned last year, and they, they didn't necessarily know this until they had to put him into the game against USC in their series and their season finale. Uh, they were down both Isaac Rex and Dallin Holker at that point in the game they actually stuck him into that traditional uh tight end spot and he actually did really really well all things considered he's not yeah he he caught a few passes i I, yeah i i picked up on that i mean the thing that i was really worried about was i was watching him against baylor and baylor was eating him alive you know like they uh you know like byu had basically given up no sacks going into that game and i think they wound up giving up like six sacks and he's responsible for three of them and uh you know and i don't want to draw the line too too tight but like he's a walk-on man uh you know um, you know, it's great that you can get stuff out of him, but like, I was just seeing him get beat by, you know, power five edge rushers. And I was like, well, that's why you take a fourth guy. You know? Yeah. His, his, he's a former walk on, he's not a scholarship guy. So yeah, he, he's a guy who is the blocking game. He's still learning at the tight end position, but the two lead guys at tight end are very clearly Isaac Rex and Dallin Holker. Yeah. They're, they're more of your traditional guys, both of them, six, five, six, six, 230 to two. And in the case of Isaac Rex, almost 255, 260 pounds. Yeah, I know it's like t- totally ideal, you know, tight end yeah. dimensions. So, and that, that's the thing about this is last year, funny enough, and you mentioned the fact that it was kind of a wide receiver driven offense last year. And it was because they, they really liked their wide receiving core a year ago. If you go back to 2020 though, Isaac Rex actually had 12 touchdown receptions in 2020 when Zach Wilson was the quarterback for the wow. wide 
It was actually more of it was more of a balanced passing attack where a lot of tight end action was involved in that offense versus what we saw last year. I'm actually guessing, and this is just my my assumption, is that this year you'll see more of that balanced attack where it's more balanced going to the tight ends and wide receivers this year versus the more wide receiver driven of 2021. Well, let's talk about the wide receivers. I think I know why you say that. Uh, it's because you know basically they're they're they had three arguably or excuse me they had five arguably six uh-huh. wide receivers they are losing three of them um including the 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 sixth guy so you know really two out of the the most productive five um the the two guys that they're losing are neil pau and uh and Samson Nakua. Uh, we got to be careful here because there's two Nakuas who are wide receivers. You, you, um, you got, good job. Uh, and then the this the the sixth guy who only had I, I think like four catches was Christopher Jackson, but like only six guys caught balls, you know, in the wide receiver course, you know. And, and the other thing is, and this is why you're on the show, Jake. Uh, I don't think they brought in any new wide receivers, did they? Uh, so they had a couple of guys in role that, that were more walk-on types. And the funny thing is that I, I actually can add this. This is actually something we learned just this week. Uh, Christopher Jackson, number six guy last year, uh-huh. he, he announced earlier in the offseason he was going to transfer to Hawaii. He actually just recently re-enrolled at BYU. So oh, really? So just, oh, you're breaking news on the podcast. All yeah. right, man. He just he just came back. We just actually just found that out. So uh, we'll see if he t- takes on a bigger role. But you're right. They do lose uh, Samson Nakua and, and Neil Pau, and both of them were fantastic guys, big-bodied receivers. The guys they're counting on this year are guys that were already inside the program. You, you mentioned right. the other Nakua. Puka Nakua is going to be their right. He's their leading receiver, and he's just phenomenal. Like I'm, I've been having to watch that guy too. He's from Washington. At Washington, yeah. And, yes. and like, yeah, I mean, he's just got talent coming out of his ears. Like, it's yes. just remarkable. I mean, it was just like crazy how many times I'm just like, how is this guy this open? You know, and, and like, not just at BYU is Washington too. It was just like, can can nobody cover this guy? And the answer so far throughout his career has been no, no one can cover him. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I think he's the best wide receiver, you know, on the West Coast that no one's talking about anyway. Um, and then on top of that, they also bring back Gunnar Romney. Uh, uh, apparently, Romney is an influential family in Utah. Who to th- who to thunk? Who who I believe was the number two receiver, or basically tied for number two with Pau. And right. um, and then uh, the the third guy that they bring back is Keanu Hill, who had about three hundred forty three yards. He's like tied for number number five with Samson Nakua. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think those three are three very good wide receivers. I think Nakua is an elite wide receiver. I I don't know much about Jackson. It's interesting to learn that he was coming back, but like I said, I think he only got four catches last year. The thing that I'd be worried about is like dude, there's no rotation, you know, like there's, you know, if you want to go to 11 personnel, you've only got three wide receivers. (laughs) Like, and so let me, let me add this. There are three other names that Oregon fans will probably become familiar with in their game uh, from BYU at the wide receiver uh, position. One of them is Braden Cosper, a guy who he's got all kinds of talent. He, I saw him at the high school level here playing locally and he's been very, very good, but he suffered three season ending injuries during his time. Wow. So uh, during training camp so far this year, he's actually been very, very good. So he could end up being maybe that wide receiver four behind Keanu Hill. And then two other names, both of them freshmen. Uh, one is Cody Epps, a former guy out of modern day high school down there in Southern California. Actually caught passes from Bryce Young, the Heisman Trophy winner at Alabama, had a, yeah. just a monster senior season at modern day. He had an injury last year that really precluded him from contributing a lot. So they're expecting him to step up. And then another guy, another local product, Chase Roberts. He's going to kind of fill in that role 
hold a hope of a Neil Pau or Samson Nakua, or is the six foot four, two hundred and ten pound big bodied receiver that can go up and get, get high point that football. So those are probably the six guys they're looking at this year. But this is going to be you're right the rotation thing where like there's essentially I, I think there's probably a top four. I would say it goes Puka Nakua, Gunnar Romney, Keanu Hill, and based on what I've seen in training camp, Braden Cosper's number four, and those are probably your guys if you're BYU at wide receiver. But the three guys that you mentioned, Cosper, Roberts, and Epps, they haven't caught a pass for BYU yet, right? Well, yeah. Cosper, Cosper actually has. Cosper has, I think, he's probably got like 10 to 15 receptions in yeah. his time at BYU. Oh, he's been around since 2018. Yeah, he's been around for a hot minute, but like I said, three season-ending injuries so far in his career. Yeah, boy, that's crazy. Well, we'll, we'll wish him the best in terms of his health. But yeah, no, I understand what you mean about like maybe going back to a little more, you know, tight end passing game, you know, g- given that, you know, that... You know, like I said, they basically went from having five, six, you know, reliable wide receivers to three and then question marks, you know, like, yeah. And and knowing that, you know, Rex in particular was particularly productive for them in the past. Like, yeah, that's that's pretty useful context to know. All right. Let's talk about the offensive line. OK, I am really going to need some help here because uh y- like it seemed like every time I turned on a BYU game, I was watching a different configuration of the offensive line. Although I think Kingsley's got a spot, right? I'm hoping that's true. I actually, right? I don't know. Does he? Uh, so I can tell you this much. Kingsley Suamata'i has been running pretty much with the ones all training camp at right tackle. So the expectation is that, yes, he does have, have a spot and it probably is going to be starting day one against USF. So That's interesting because, you know, I, I think over the course of my charting at BYU, I think I saw eight different offensive linemen. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. seven of them are coming back. Um, yep. You got it. You nailed it. So I, I had uh, Blake Freeland at left tackle, Clark Barrington at left guard. Uh, mm-hmm. I had both of those guys coming back. I had James Empey as the center. Uh, I think he is departing. Um, he's, now, he's now with the Dallas Cowboys. You're right. Yeah. Although he wasn't playing the center in every game that I watched. He got injured. He, he's at his last two years at BYU. He he was a, he was gonna he was a four year starter just based on like day one starts. But the last two years of his career at BYU suffered some lower leg injuries that I think knocked him out of I think ten games total the last two years. Mm. Well, that sucks. I'm, I'm glad he's getting paid. Speaking of which, uh, the right guard, Connor Pay, who seemed to be the starter, he was number 70, but then he took over as center um, yep, for MP. I, I assume that he's gonna slide over and be the new starting center for BYU. That is currently the expectation. Yes, he's been running pretty much all of training camp at center. And then, boy, I was seeing a real mess at right guard and right tackle. Um, <laughs> I, I, I was seeing a bunch of different guys. I, 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 was, I, was, I was waiting for this. Here, here we go. So I was seeing Joe Tukuafu when Pei had to move over for Empey at right guard. And uh-huh. then I was seeing a bunch of different right tackles. I was seeing Harris Lachance, uh, Campbell Barrington, and Braden Kime. I think two of the guys that I just mentioned are walk-ons, uh, Lachance and Kime. Lachance is actually a scholarship guy. Oh, really? Uh-huh. And boy, I got to tell you, I didn't, I wasn't in love with any of them. Um, and so if you told me that Sue Mattia was just going to be like, well, guess what? You know, I'm the five star and I'm going to take over his right tackle now. Yeah, I believe you. Do you think that's what's going to happen? Yeah. So uh, in my observations during training camp, your, your your assessment is actually very accurate. Uh, left tackles, Blake Freeland. He's getting NFL looks right now. At left tackle. If he was not there at left tackle, I actually probably have uh, pegged Kingsley be on the left side. I think they're mm-hmm. going to 
line him up this year at right tackle with the thought that next year, if and when Blake Freeland moves on to the NFL, he switches over to left tackle. I think that's the expectation moving forward. Uh, Clark Barrington, preseason All-American at left guard. This will be his third straight season as a starter. He's been just absolutely a stalwart at that position. Connor Pay is going to be at center. Should there be any issues with him at center, Joe Tukuafu would slide into that center spot, it looks like. Do you think that Tukuafu would be the starting right guard, assuming that Pay is good to go? That's what I'm expecting, but funny enough, during our media observation period, they've actually slotted uh, Harris Lachance, the former right tackle, into that right guard spot. Hmm. Joe's actually been dealing with a nagging injury uh, Uh during training camp, so there'll actually probably be a little bit of a rotation there at right guard, but it sure looks like Kingsley's got that right tackle position on lockdown, and so essentially the only position that I feel like has a question mark right now is if it's Lachance or Tukuafu at right guard. Is Campbell Barrington related to Clark Barrington? Younger brother. Yes. He's actually brother. He was a freshman All-American last year after being actually, he was, in my opinion, you're right. The the right tackle position kind of revolving door last year, mainly due to injuries of both uh, Campbell and Harris Lachance picked up some injuries during the season. That's why they were rotating so much. Campbell for his efforts actually was named a freshman All-American and they, they kind of see him as their, Uh, In the NFL, they call it a swing offensive lineman or a swing tackle. They truly believe he could play any of the four positions outside of center, and if they need him at any of those positions, he will be inserted there this season. Well, 6'6 gives you a lot of versatility. Correct. The thing that's sort of remarkable to me, and and again, I really hope this doesn't impact anything by week three, but like other than the dudes that we have mentioned and Donovan Hanna, uh, who I believe is a two-star, there's – it's – there's not a lot of returning scholarship players in the offensive line. It's a pretty small room and they, you know, they had a bunch of departures or at least there's a bunch of dudes who aren't listed on the roster anymore um, from the offensive line. And they've, you know, taken in, you know, a ton of them. I think three guys through the portal, Sumatai, we've already talked about, um, Vicoso from uh, ASU and an FCS guy, Sam Daw, a couple of Juco's, uh, like I think four freshmen. It's like, you know, like I said, I, I, you know, I think they're going to be fine through week three. Like, it's really hard to imagine they have a lot, you know, a lot of injuries, but it's like, boy, I'd be, you know, what do you think towards the end of the year? Like, you know, if they have to do the same sort of song and dance as they did last year with, you know, some you know, injury rotation, do you, do you foresee that being a problem? Uh, the funny thing is, I actually think this offensive line is actually set up to be very, very good, in my personal opinion. Those those eight guys, we kind of covered the top eight guys. Yep. Those eight, I think, are going to hold the fort down for BYU because they're right, you're right. They did bring in a number of bodies here. They're going to have to train up. They really like Sione Vecoso, by the way, the transfer from Arizona State. They actually see him as a future a tackle. He's been running with the twos at right tackle behind Kingsley. They really feel like his versatility and his frame are going to lend itself to being a rotation piece, uh, probably next year I would imagine in 2023 but the top eight guys right now for BYU are probably going to lead the way and this is an offensive line that two years ago was a finalist for that Joe Moore award which goes to the best offensive line in the country they were semifinalists for it last year as well and the coaching staff I can tell you this much Aaron Roderick their offensive coordinator said that this offensive line he thinks is the best of the of the three of the last three years so they've got a lot of confidence in these guys well, they definitely got a big talent infusion from from Sue Matai. I mean, we never we never really got to see him at Oregon, but like I can tell you this much: Aaron Roderick called him the most freaky offensive lineman he's ever seen in all. <laughs> so I like it. Hey, podcast listener! Hey, come you. over here! Come yeah. over here! Get over here! Yeah. Huh? Nice headphones you got in here. Oh yeah, I like those, Chevy be a shame if something were to happen to those headphones. 
ones, eh? Stomped them on the ground, eh? Be real easy to avoid that smashing if you went over to the Quack12 Twitter account and gave us a little follow. Just a little follow, that's all we're asking. And hey, look at that. I hear you listening to your new podcast apps in your car, huh? Driving home, making the long journey feel a little shorter, eh? Is that yeah. what he's doing there, bud? <laughs> yeah, turning your three-hour drive into a nice little vacation, huh? Be a shame if your car ended up on the bottom of a lake. Splash. Splash maybe with you in the trunk of it, huh? Glug, glug, guzzle, guzzle. Maybe all that can be avoided with a little trip to the quack. 12 page on Apple Podcast. All you got to do is go to Apple Podcast, Quack 12, give us internet. five stars. Yeah, the internet. You got it, bud. Five stars. Leave us a little comment. Help other people find it. Maybe it'll help people find you when they find out that you're gone missing if you catch my drift. You seen the posters on the telephone poles? Yeah, those are those are people that didn't give us fucking five stars. Some of them did, and we did it anyways. And then uh, you know, uh, oh hey, hey look at look at this podcast listener on their long inner inner uh, continental flight, making things not so bad. Not wanting to hear that baby by covering it up. Wah wah, so they say, putting on them headphones. Trying to get the Sky Waitress's attention. Get over here. Give me more of that Quack 12 podcast. Yeah. 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 Why don't you? Yeah. You want some more of that Quack 12 podcast, don't you? Yeah. You want to buy some more from us, don't you? Get it. Otherwise, you know, because if you don't buy this Quack 12 podcast insurance, you never know when your plane's going to go straight down into the water, into the old Atlantic, Blash. never to be seen again. Glug, glug, guzzle, guzzle. In case you don't want to be part of the rock and roller club of the bottom of the fucking ocean, then I recommend you go to the Quack 12 Patreon. Come on, come on. Why don't you go to the Quack 12 Patreon, give us five smackaroos, and for that we can forget about the whole nasty business have you on your way. Forget about it. We'll forget about it, all right? Five measly dollars. That's all I got. Now listen up, punk. Because it looks like you're not seeing so good right now. My boss is talking to you, chump. Aren't you, chump? Yeah, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. All right, let him, let him go, Mikey. Let him go. In the bottom of the fucking ocean. Ayo! Quack, quack. All right, uh, let's switch over and talk about the defense. Okay. Um, so this is the thing that's, you know, as I was saying earlier, comparing them to Georgia, you know, it's more like 40 different dudes are, are, are playing, <laughs> you know, throughout. And like, I'm not exaggerating. Like, I think I can count it. Like, like the, it's a 4-3 defense. So you expect, you know, uh, a, a little more, uh, you know, from defensive line. But I mean, I count 12, you know, I have 12 different guys on my tally sheet over the course of the season playing defensive line um, for BYU. Uh you know, to the point where it's actually like difficult from like, there's so many dudes that I can't actually run a statistical regression on any individual uh -huh. player. Like a bunch of them are two stars and three of them, I think are walk-ons. Um, I mean, it's like, I sort of have a theory about this and I, and I want to bounce the theory off of you. Like, you know, I, I, unlike 
Georgia. I am not seeing a bunch of five and four stars. You know, I am seeing a bunch of very eager kids who are hitting hard. Um, and it's just, you know, it's a hockey line style rotation. They're never tired. You know, it's like, well, I'm only going to be playing 10 snaps this entire game. So I'm going to make them, you know, count and, you know, and they hit real hard and that sort of like makes up for any, you know, talent deficiency. What do you think of that, that theory? You know, I think I'm, I'm overstating or exaggerating. What do you think? Uh, based on 2021, I actually think you, you kind of nailed it there. The, the biggest thing for BYU, their defensive line in 2021, they were essentially starting over from scratch. They had a good uh, a good crew of guys through the 2020 season that had been three, uh, two and three year starters. And mm-hmm. All of them got NFL looks after that 2020 season, uh, but then they essentially had to kind of start right back over in 2021. And you're right. They were throwing a bunch of dudes at the wall, seeing what would stick. They had injury concerns, especially at the defensive tackle positions uh, throughout the season that necessitated them inserting guys that maybe were a little more green than they needed to be to really be contributors. But they were just trying to find the right combination of guys they felt like could be successful. They never really found that answer, frankly, because their their rush defense, frankly, was a business especially down the stretch last year mm. the hope is this year they, they've got guys so for example there's a guy named josh larson and you may bring him up at some point in this conversation josh last year played a uh, defensive tackle slash defensive end for byu at 260 pounds uh, he actually this past offseason has packed on more than 50 pounds he's weighing in at 310 plus right now and he looks like a completely transformed defensive lineman it just looks completely night and day different and that's been a big key for byu they realized that they were undersized along that defense of line and they really told these guys y'all got to bulk up and that's one thing that essentially across the board every one of those contributing players you may bring up their names i could tell you they've probably put on any one of them between 15 and in the case of a guy like josh larson 50 plus pounds well i think and then the other thing that's remarkable is they're bringing back just about everybody you know Correct. i yeah. think there's only one departure uh uriah uh leotawa um by the way can i can i compliment you on your pronunciations by the way oh uh <laughs> polynesian names are not that difficult they 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 follow some fairly basic rules as long as you don't panic they're but you, you you've done a really good job with that. i can tell you this much i was on an, i was on a, uh, another interview this goes back about a week ago in arkansas of all places and they they were with all the pronunciations so just props to you on that way. well uh thanks You'd think you'd pick it up, but there's a lot of yeah. people that don't. Um, the thing that's, yeah, so uh, Leotawa, um, I believe, you know, like I said, it's actually difficult for me to figure out who the starters are, but I believe that he was a first string defensive end. Um, right. But, you know, like I said, there's five other guys who were playing defensive end, uh, Tenavasa, uh, Fisher Jackson, Tyler Batty, um, Blake Mangelson, uh, Alden Tofa. Did I miss anybody? Uh, those are the main guys from last year. You're right. That, that was the defensive end rotation. Yes. And then bring back, I, I think everybody who I saw playing uh, defensive tackle, um, uh, Mahi and Tuiota Mariner, uh, Hawes, Summers, uh, Larson, you already mentioned, uh, John Nelson. Cool. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, Pillamai uh, got a few reps in there as, uh, as well. Um, it, you know, bring back all those guys, right? Yeah, and that's the thing. They're, they're bringing back pretty much everybody intact. You said outside of Uriah Leotawa. So the hope is that just with continued experience and the progression you would expect from guys growing up, a lot of these guys last year were freshmen and sophomores. That, that was the biggest thing that also affected them was just the youth amongst this group. They're hoping that they grow up. Uh, they have a hope that some of these guys will step up. A guy like Tyler Batty, he's probably their most accomplished uh, at, at the defensive line position. He'll play defensive end for BYU. Uh, he is packed on about 20 pounds. He's uh, currently 6'5", 280. 
and he looks like he is poised to have a breakout season. And the hope is that he does because their pass rush in particular has been not good during Kalani Satake's. Well, I, I mean, I, th- I sort of think like, I, yeah, I agree with you. Like the, the numbers don't really stand out, but I sort of, you know, I think that's an artifact of the structure of the defense. I mean, it's a four right. three and they're playing, you know, big ends who are sort of rush containers. that are like who like they, they have a position on the team or uh, on the coaching staff called ends slash hybrids. You're right. And yeah. like, I was trying to figure out like hybrid of what this is the most like four, three defense that is ever four, three, like, <laughs> you well, know, what am I missing? Let me add one thing on this. So if you look at BYU's depth chart that they put out on a, on a week-to-week basis, and both of you can look this up, they actually list 16 defensive positions on their on their depth chart. They're not oh going to play 16 guys at any given time, but they have multiple what they call hybrid positions. Uh, they have uh, a rush, uh, like a stand-up rush end slash defensive end spot that they, they list on there. They have a safety slash, actually two different uh, safety slash linebacker spots. Uh, they have, just, there's so many different ones. They list 16 different positions there, and that's what that hybrids coach is there for. He coaches the defensive Defensive ends, and then he deals with all the different hybrid positions as well. His name's Preston Hadley. I, I mean, yeah, I, I cut that depth chart too. It, it's describing like situational third down stuff, you know. Not, yeah, like ninety percent of downs, it is. It, it's Michigan State's four three. You know, like I, I've had to do a bunch of Michigan State films over the last couple of what, years. And that's what they aspire to be. Yes, they want to be a four three defense. That uh, in theory, they want to have yeah bigger defensive ends that can both uh, rush the passer and hold up against the run. That the biggest thing is they want their linebacking core to be able to go make plays. And their injuries last year, especially at linebacker, really really just hampered whatever they were. Yeah. That's what I, I want to talk about next is the linebacker core because you know it, it's sort of interesting to me. Um, uh, the, you know, number one, this is, I mean, really, this is where the pass rush is coming from is interior, you know, a gap blitzes from the linebacker core, but then towards in the second half of the season, I just wasn't seeing them very often. Do you think that's injury related? Yeah. So they're, their top three linebackers going into 2021, in my opinion, all uh, suffered season ending injuries. Chaz Ayu was lost to, due to a hamstring injury mid season. You lost a uh, Keenan Peely actually in the third game against Arizona state during 2021 to an ACL tear. And then also Peyton Wilgar uh, in the tail end of the season, he suffered a shoulder injury that knocked him out for the rest of the year. Those three guys, uh, I, I know that not one, not any single one guy should make BYU's defense operate, but the loss, of uh, especially Keenan Peely last year, you can look at the numbers before he went out and when he went out, they were night and day different. It was just insane how much uh, how, how much less effective they were without those linebackers. Uh, a couple of housekeeping questions. Uh, first of all, the guy who got the most tackles over 100 has been Bywater. Um, right. He has changed his jersey number. He's going from number 33 to number two. Yep, you got it. Yep, you're right. Second question, all the guys that you mentioned who are injured, I believe they're still on the roster. Are they all back to 100%? Uh, Keenan Peely and Peyton Wilgar are back to 100%. Chaz Ayu is not back to 100%, and there are pretty strong indications that he may actually end up – he's got some nagging uh, concerns that he may end up actually redshirting the season uh, with a target to return in 2023 Mm. for the You know, it's interesting, you know, like I said, you know, up and down, we were talking about, you know, low to mid three stars. A couple of walk-ons, you know, Wilgar and and Piper at least were were unrated at a a high school. Yep. IU is, you know, a four star. Uh, he sort of, you know, in that sense, is a little out of place, you know, on this team. On the other hand, like, I, I don't know, maybe I was seeing him. I don't know. I, I don't think that I was seeing a guy who was like, you know, a, a million times more talented than anybody else in the team. I, I think, you know, if you had re- 
if I if they didn't have jersey numbers on the back and I could tell the difference between IU and Thule, I couldn't tell the difference between IU and Thule. You know what I mean? Yeah, when well, you're you're not wrong, and I think the biggest thing for Chaz is just he's been like battling through multiple injuries. That that's the thing of his the story of his career. It's it's just been injury after injury, and not necessarily like big season ending type stuff. Just been different nagging things that have not necessarily allowed him to play to the level that he would aspire to play as a former four star athlete. He was very celebrated when he signed with BYU. But you're right, uh, Max Tooley. I, I think he's just as effective, if not more effective in many circumstances than a guy like Chaz. And uh, Thule's going to have a, just a big role this year as well. The, the, the nice part right now is outside of Chaz Ayu, their linebacking core is fully healthy right now. And just based on the experience factor, you'd think that they have maybe four or five guys that they really can count on, they feel like. Well, and like we were talking about with the defensive line, you know, it's – I. I have charted nine different guys getting yeah. meaningful yeah. reps, and uh -huh. I believe they're only losing one of them, Drew Jensen, Correct. who had it was sort of like middle of the road in terms of uh, tackle. I would, I think he's like second stringer, you'd call him. Um, and, and, but bringing back the other eight guys, you know, we, we mentioned most of them already: Bywater, Tuli, Wilgar, Ayu, uh, Piper, Peely, uh, Jackson, Kafusi. That's another name that shows up a bunch of times, uh, and Josh Wilson. Um, I think all eight of those dudes are coming back, right? Yeah, you, you got it. And that's the thing is like with all eight of those guys, you hope with the experience factor that they got last year, there's some of the defensive line. A lot of them were young underclassmen is the hope that just with that experience they got playing in these games, kind of being thrown into the deep end, as it were, it will hopefully help them have a better output this year. All right, let's talk about the defensive backs. Um, boy, you're really going to have to help me here. Uh, <laughs> it is, again, playing a ton of dudes. You know, I, I had charted um, I think 15 different guys getting, uh, uh, you know, substantial reps. Um, unlike the other uh, couple of positions, there there are a number of departures here. Probably the most significant is uh, Isaiah Heron. But most of the rest of the guys, I guess I would characterize as backups, you know, fairly deep on the depth chart. They are uh, bringing back D'Angelo Mandel, who's an outside corner. Um, they're bringing back Caleb Hayes, who's an outside corner. They are bringing back uh, Ammon Hanneman, uh, Malik Moore, uh, who I believe safeties uh jacob robinson jacob boren and then like five other guys <laughs> like yeah. but i think those are the significant ones did i miss anybody uh, there are two names I would add to that list, and one's a transfer uh, coming in from Vanderbilt. Uh, Gabe Judy Lally is actually a two-year starter for the Commodores. They really like him at BYU. They think he'll be at least at, right away a rotating piece at cornerback alongside Mandel and Hayes. I think your day one starters are going to be Hayes, who's a former Oregon State transfer in his own mm -hmm. right, and Mandel. Those are being your, your one-two, but Gabe Judy Lally, with that SEC experience, he's going to be right there in the mix. Then the other name I would add to the mix, uh, just in terms of conversation, is Micah Harper. He actually started as a true freshman for BYU during 2020, suffered an ACL injury late that season, missed all of last year. They've actually converted him. He played cornerback as a freshman. They have converted him to playing safety, and him and Hanneman are probably going to be the two rotators opposite of Malik Moore. I was just about to ask you about Moore, um, but you, you answered that. What about uh, Jacob Robinson? What did you think about him? So Robinson was a kind of forced. They had injury concerns at safety. They they moved him. They started the year at, at nickel cornerback for him, and he moved to safety just out of necessity last year, and he performed okay. He was severely undersized to be a safety. He weighs 170 pounds soaking. Yeah. He is not a big dude, but they've actually moved him back to nickel cornerback, and that's where he prefers to play, and that's where he's going to be suiting up this year. And then bringing back, you know, you know, most of the most significant backups, uh, Hayden Livingston, uh, Matthew Criddle, um, George Udo, JaVale Brown. 
Yep. Certainly they're going to be able to field the secondary if they have yep. a bunch of injuries. Um, I don't know how good any of these guys are. You know, it's really difficult for me to get eyes on the secondary. And like, yeah. you know, like I said, there's so much rotation. Like I can't run a statistical regression on any of them. Any of these guys like stand out as like, uh oh, don't throw the ball against him. Or, or what do you think? Uh, Mandel is one that I think has been very, very good as a cover corner. The issue is when the ball has been thrown his way, he doesn't necessarily make a ton of plays. That's that's the issue. They, they want him to get more pass breakups, more uh, more interceptions. That's just kind of the one thing missing from his game. The funny thing is last year with him locking down one side of the field, a lot of teams threw at Caleb Hayes trying to test him. And Caleb Hayes, I think, had somewhere around 12 or 13 pass breakups throughout the season, despite not starting the year as a starting uh opposite corner of Mandel. They really like what Caleb Hayes brings to the mix and they think that he is going to have a sensational season this year. Uh, one guy that I would, uh, you mentioned that is kind of a backup, but I think he's going to take on a bigger role now that he's back uh, being healthy in his own right off of his own ACL tear is George Udo. Uh, we talked about those hybrid positions for BYU. Udo is a guy that he looks every bit the hybrid safety. He's six foot two, 220 pounds, but they they claim he runs a low 4440. They think that he is a guy that can play that hybrid spot, can play safety, can play nickel cornerback. They, When he was a freshman in 2020, they actually brought him off safety blitzes. I think he had two or three sacks off of that. They really like his versatility. So he's a guy to keep an eye on just in terms of his ability to contribute in multiple facets. But the guy that I – one other name, Malik Moore. This will be his second full year starting at safety for BYU. It really felt like during 2021, he came into his own and really started to take command of this defensive secondary. If you were to name a captain for the secondary, it's it's Malik Moore. You see him during practices. He's barking at guys and kind of just directing traffic from his uh, free safety spot. And the expectation is this year that he's going to have hopefully his best season in a BYU uniform. Last question that I have for you Um you know, all over the field, I have noted, you know, you know, bringing back everybody, bringing back everybody, bringing back everybody, um, you know, at a couple of positions, you know, they're, they're taking transfers like, you know, running back and, and, and the yeah. corner that you just mentioned. Um, but otherwise, you know, it looks like they're going to be heavily reliant on, on returners. If there is a freshman and like, we really just haven't talked about the freshman at all, because like, why would we have like, you know, with all these returners? Um, yeah. But if there is a freshman um, who's going to break in, uh, mm-hmm. who do you think it would be? Uh, are you talking about offensively or defensively or either either side of the ball? Cause I think the answer is none. Um, but do you think I'm wrong? Uh, so in terms of guys and trust me with, with COVID and everything, guys trying to figure out freshmen and that type of stuff, there was one name that if, if he were healthy, I would have been the, the, the one guy I point to was the name Logan Fano. He actually tore his ACL during spring ball. He's going to miss the entire upcoming season. Uh. And the guy that they were hoping that was actually going to come in and really be a, a pass rusher, uh, for them, but losing him was absolutely it just hurt him. They, they were really counting on him coming in. The one name I would pay attention to, and this is just, uh, this is probably not necessarily something you'd see against Oregon, just how early on it is in the year. Corbin Green, he's a freshman defensive back coming in from Oklahoma for BYU. They actually think that he's got the skills to play right away as a true freshman. I don't necessarily think he's probably going to be cornerback number four on the outside, but uh, as the season season progresses, they really like him. He was a guy that Baylor and Texas Tech had a hard look at. They ultimately passed on him, and BYU picked him up. They really, really like his skill set, and they think that he can contribute early on. All right, Jake, uh, it's the final season as an independent. Yeah. Uh, as always, BYU has a super exciting schedule coming up. Games against Baylor, at Oregon, obviously, at Notre Dame. I mean, you got at Stanford at the end yes. of the season, maybe another Pac-12 sweep. <laughs> How do you think you're going to finish this season? 
See, this is the interesting thing about this season is uh, the the schedule lays out it, it's it's advantageous in a way because you have your your true big games are back to backs. You you face against Baylor in their season in their home opener on September 10th. The following week, we're talking with you guys, and they're going to go to Oregon. That's a that's a that's a pretty uh, nifty back to back there. And then then in mid October, you go to Vegas to face off against Notre Dame, then come home and host Arkansas. So you have those. Big games are back-to-backs. If you can go two and two against those, I don't think that 10 and two is out of the question for BYU, but those are four preseason top 20 teams. And man, I've got my concerns about that. Uh, Also with the fact that one other thing on the schedule side of things, BYU plays 10 straight weeks before they get a bowl game. That, that that's they they did the same thing last year. It was it, it hurt them. They got to the they got to their bye week in mid November, and it just felt mm-hmm. like holy smokes. They just like guys were dropping like flies. So they're gonna have to manage that this year. I am of the opinion that getting to ten wins would be like absolutely a, an incredible season in BYU for for BYU if they did it this year. I've kind of tabbed them. I think nine and three would be a successful year for BYU, but I could easily see them sitting at eight and four. And uh, all things considered, it being a decent year yeah i mean uh well, i could tell you this maybe this is like a, a grand scheme of things kind uh-huh. of thing but uh the last two years uh i've, I've lost good money betting against byu <laughs> so i wouldn't do it again this year well, well they're they're 21 and 4 the last two years so that that's that's the one thing about this they they were expected to really have a, a what they called a rebuilding year last year and what do mm-hmm. they do they go out and go five and oh against the pac 12 put up 10 wins in a rebuilding year so you're, you're right. Like trying to bet on them falling back in some ways feel, feels a little foolhardy, but at the same time, I just see the schedule and the four preseason top 25 or top 20 teams. It just seems like I think nine and three, if you get to nine and three, I think that's a great year. Yeah, absolutely. We'll, we'll all be watching. That's for sure. All duck fans will be watching both games with BYU. <laughs> yeah. Hithleday. Thanks again for joining us. Hithleday of addicted to quack. Uh, you can find them on Twitter or you can find Hithleday on his personal Twitter account at H Y T H L O D A Y. The number one Hithleday one. Um, Hith, you excited for the season? Uh, yeah, you bet. It's a it's a wild non-con Georgia and then perennial FCS power Eastern Washington and then BYU. Yeah. You know, like, like I said, if they weren't playing Georgia, BYU'd be the headliner. Um, it's yeah, my understanding a, that uh, Cooper Cup graduated some years back. I, so that's good. <laughs> and Oregon got his wide receivers coach. There you go. There you, there you go. That's a great way to look at it. And uh, Jake Hatch, uh, again, from Locked on Cougars, at Locked on Cougars. Uh, you were a great guest. Thanks so much for coming on. You, you you guys do really good stuff on the Locked on Network. I know that's it's a lot of work put into those. You got, like, uh, YouTube feed. You got everything. It, it's a great product you guys put out there. We have fun with it. It's it's daily coverage of the teams you care about. Uh, so, yeah, if you guys want anything on BYU, and I, I'll probably be reaching out to you guys when we get a little closer to BYU and Oregon kicking uh, things off. But, Absolutely. yeah, we do, we do daily coverage of BYU, so you can check it out, Locked On Cougars, wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube. All right. Well, uh, gentlemen, week zero approaches, so I know where I'll be. <laughs> Watching some bad Nebraska Northwestern uh, football from across hey, the seas. <laughs> Vanderbilt, Hawaii is my jam, gentlemen. Okay. There you go. I, I got to go to a wedding that's taking place during N- Nebraska Northwestern. I got to tell you, I, I have watched spicier Nebraska Northwestern games than certain marriages. Uh, like, Can I tell? I don't know, man. That one's going to be a tough, tough choice. 
let me tell you this. Um, actually, it's funny you bring that up because I will be missing probably like the fourth quarter of the Oregon BYU game because my mom is having a wedding that very day. Oh no! Oh, no. that's like the premise of a joke, buddy. No, <laughs> that is actually the, uh, the good luck on BYU's part because usually when I am forced to miss watching a Ducks game, they will lose it in embarrassing fashion. So we so got we got to find a way to have you watch it. Uh, okay, got it. We can, we, we, <laughs> we can work on this, Adam. <laughs> All right, everybody. Uh, well, we'll see y'all next week. Quack quack. Thanks again, Jake. Thanks again, uh, again Hithleby. Um, yeah, go Ducks. Go Cougs. <laughs>